listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, somebody else. Amen, amen, amen. Great to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. I, I, let's just start this way. Lord, I pray your blessings on your people. I pray you would meet with every one of us here today and let us be spiritually transformed by your presence. Not just learning how to cope with our lives, but being transformed by your spirit. Not just learning how to take one for the team, Lord, but being transformed by your spirit. Let us leave here unchanged, unstirred. But let today be a new thing, a new thing, a new thing. New hope, new joy, new confidence. The old passed away and all things new. In Jesus' name. Would you help me praise him one more time, church? We bless you, oh God. I should start with an apology. I'm having max allergy uh, difficulty today. Uh, I thought I was doing better, and I, I'm having max allergy. And so um, I found some drugs from uh, Brother Austin. We're going to find out what these young people around this church take as far as drugs. Y'all pray, pray for me. I have no idea, but I've taken max doses of everything. I don't know if it means anything, but a pink elephant just flew by. I don't know what that means spiritually. Lord, speak to thy servant. Pink elephants. <laughs> so apologies in advance. Love you all. Excited for what the Lord's doing in your life. I want you to be rich in the spirit of the Lord. I'm going to read a different passage to start with here. And we are going to move into the scripture uh, starting at Galatians chapter number five, and we're going to read it verse number seven. My theme for the service today is talking back to your heart, talking back to your heart. And the principles involved in a Bible study like this, a sermon given like this, are the kind of thing that you may need to walk with for a little while. You may need to sit with some of these principles, but because uh, the difficulty of knowing our hearts and the difficulty of surrendering, somebody say surrendering, surrendering our hearts to God, that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, the opposite of God is not the devil. The opposite of God is self. Uh, Lucifer did not tempt Eve to serve Lucifer. He tempted Eve to serve herself. <laughs> Don't have time for that, but <laughs> the opposite of God is self. And so to surrender our hearts, to surrender our paths, our choices, our minds uh, is really the beginning of everything that is of a spiritual potential in your life. So, all right, enough. Let's, let's get into the scripture together. Galatians 5, verse number 7, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. You are running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion 
did not come from him who calls you, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, uh, we are reading in chapter number five, and the context of the scripture is a regression from the gospel of Jesus Christ to the reassurance and comfort of an inherited religious way, an inherited, an inherited tradition of serving the Lord. I don't know if you grew up in a church-like environment. There are tremendous blessings to growing up in a church environment, and there's even more blessings to growing up with parents who sought uh, to represent a Christian life before all of you. It's a tremendous blessing. And if your parents sought to represent the Christian way, uh, you are blessed uh, beyond, beyond measure in that regard. To all of you who have children, I want to commend you for bringing those children to church. Um, <laughs> the opposite of church life is seeking self and uh, deciding for yourself whatever is right and whatever seems right to you at that moment, not subjecting yourself to a organized group of people who are seeking to know God, to serve God, and, and the like. And so uh, it's important for our children to see us value church enough to make time for it. If our, if our children grow up and what they really learned about the mom and dad is they just needed any excuse they could get and then they missed, that's not the best lesson we teach our children. And remember, you know this as well as I do. They're not listening to nothing you say anyway. They're just watching what you do, yes. <laughs> which is terrifying, but true. <laughs> and so uh, I want to refer you in this passage where the children of Israel had a way of serving God. They had an inherited religious in a tradition style, we think of this as the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, and we think in terms of that Old Testament being a law given to them by God to do two things. Number one, to make them unique among the peoples of the earth and allow them to learn the cost of sin. The law made them unique from the peoples in the earth, gave them a centralized ethics built upon monotheism, not polytheism. Why does that matter? As long as you have a polytheistic, there's no absolute right or wrong. If you don't like the choices, just change the God you worship, and you can find a God who will serve you rather than you serving uh, him, her, it, or whatever you worship. Uh, but with monotheism, there's an absolute right. Can I have a big amen? There's a right, there's ethics begin to matter at the birth of monotheism. Before monotheism, ethics are of smaller importance. And what is important is that you are only good to the people who agree with you and you are just a crook to everybody else. But with the rise of monotheism, there's one God, one Father, one Lord of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. Now you see the birth of ethics. There's a way to live whether or not they are of your household or not. Whether or not they're a Jew or a Samaritan, there's a right way to live. Ethics matter with the rise of monotheism. Thus, the tremendous gift of the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God is, come on, we can do better than that. Say it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
And so uh, they had an inheritance of what? Law and order, law from the giving of that tablets of stone, the giving of spiritual direction in the Levitical order, and they have order uh, in the sense of the inheritance of that law. They are living a law in order, and everything they know about righteousness has been given to them in the form of a generational gift. My great-grandmother did it like this. My grandfather did it like this. My father did it like this. I'm going to do it like this. I don't have to be spiritual. I just do what Papa did. (laughs) I don't have to have a relationship with God. I might get to preaching here before it's over. Fair warning. I don't have to seek his presence. I've replaced God with an algorithm. (laughs) And I just kind of obey the rules, and so I don't need to pray. And in fact, I can look down on my nose at other people who haven't obeyed the rules. So, um, all right, I'm trying to go, but that pink elephant keeps flying by right in front of my right in front of my head. I don't know what kids these days are taking for allergy pills. <laughs> so, Paul is dealing with setting the church up in a theology of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not an inheritance of Old Testament covenant or law. You see, it is fulfilled in Christ, not itself. It was leading us to Christ, not to a completion of itself. The point of the law is to teach us we need a covering. We need mercy. We need Calvary. And so, uh, as the people serving the Lord, they seek to follow after the Lord. Um, Teachers come among them that says, no, look, Jesus is good, but you need to do it like Moses did too. And uh, these other inherited rules that were fulfilled in Christ, they taught us something about the necessity of Christ, uh, but they are not the point. They are an inheritance to you. They come back among the people and pretty soon the revival that broke out is stopped, stopped. And so what does Paul say to them? Uh, We read uh, this passage, uh, verse 7, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Uh, The point here is if we go back to creating a judgment culture of exclusion, it will ruin what God is trying to do in the gospel. That's what Galatians is is all about. Now, in this passage, now that I've placed you in context, I want to read the beginning of chapter number five and uh, try to address a reality of serving the Lord. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I I am uh, wanting to make that one phrase. It was for freedom 
that Christ set us free. I want to let that become a, um, a word from God in our life. And the reality of the statement can almost seem like a bit of circular logic, like it was for red that we painted the barn red. What are you trying to say, Paul? It was for tacos that we went into the kitchen and started making tacos. Yes, the deep thoughts, by all means. Chop, chop, where's my tacos? What are you trying to say, Paul? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Here is um, reality that we often forget. What God has done for us must be lived out by us. What Christ has done for us must be lived out by us. Let me say it this way. God has provided everything you need for victory. It's time for you to stand in victory and proclaim the promises of God over your life. Can I have an agreement in the house? The Lord has already bore the stripes for our healing. It's time for someone to believe for healing in their body. Christ has begun a good work in you. What do you do? You walk in the faith of what God... If we're not careful, we will be our own jailer. We will be set free from Egypt and then make a prison of a wilderness. We will be taken out of Egypt, but make the error of carrying Egypt in our hearts. And although it isn't the Egyptians holding us, it's the habits of Egypt that hold us. It's no longer an army with chariots. Now it's a wistful, sentimental remembrance of the leeks and the onions, so to speak, of Egypt. I want God not just to get me out of Egypt. I want him to get Egypt out of me. I don't want him just to begin a work in me. I want to walk in victory on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. It's a shame for us to shout on Sunday and walk in defeat the rest of the week. It was for freedom that God set you free. So how do we err in this, in this uh, particular uh, area where God has done something in us and then we live it out? Um, the Christian journey is very much an ongoing progression of coming from somewhere, going somewhere because of what God has done in us. If you'll notice in the scripture, almost all the teaching examples is a presentation of something that is in some way, somehow beyond us, and yet we reach for it. Uh, let's start with the wise men seeking a star, and there is a sign to them, and they're uncertain of many things, but this is what they know. If God is going to give them a sign, they're going to seek after the king that the sign represents. They will go seeking, they will go asking, they will go knocking. Does anyone know where is born the king of the Jews? We have seen his star and we want to be a part of the worship 
of the king. We're seeking, we're asking, we're knocking. The, the, the journey the Christian makes is this daily desire for more of God and less of flesh, more of heaven and less of the material, more of his presence and less of our failure. I'm asking, I'm seeking. Um, oftentimes, churches stop having influence in the world God has placed them when they become holders of truth and not seekers of truth. Because the moment I am a holder of truth, it allows me to sit in judgment of everyone else's truth. But as long as I'm seeking, I really don't know what God's doing in you and whatever he's doing, that's fine. But let me tell you what I'm doing. God's been stirring my heart and I want to walk closer to him. I want to see more of his majesty in my life. I want to be a man like King David after God's own heart. And so I seek and I ask and I knock. It's not just the teaching illustration of a journey. It's also the very word of God given by Jesus in his ministry where in his, I would say, premier presentation of uh, systematic theology or a practical guide to new life. We call it the Sermon on the Mount where... He gives us a way of serving God. Everyone there, we forget this, but if you'll remember for a moment with me, almost all the people there consider themselves religious. In fact, almost all the people there consider themselves observant Jews. They don't think in terms of saved and lost. Jewish people don't think in terms of saved and lost. Particularly in this time, they don't have a, a reformation idea of saved and lost. What do you mean I'm lost? I'm a child of Abraham, they would say. No one in the audience thinks of themselves as lost. Maybe the uh, most vile sinner, maybe the person who is at the bottom of the religious beauty contest, maybe them, uh, but everyone else thinks they're saved. What do you mean I'm lost? I'm a child of Abraham. They, can't, they don't even agree on eternal life. The Pharisee says there is eternal life. The Sadducees says there isn't. The people are very divided. They want to argue with Jesus about it. Jesus comes down on the side of uh, the Pharisees in that regard. Do you see? So here, here is this, this reality. What do you mean uh, saved or lost? So the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus preaching the gospel of saved and lost. It is Jesus speaking to the house of Israel about how they ought to seek God. Oh, come on with me now. I know I'm floating around up here high as a kite, but I want you to know if you work with me, the Lord might use this, 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 whatever I'm happening up here. <laughs> and, so, and so here he is saying, and he basically couches the whole argument like this. Don't do it like the Pharisees. The whole Sermon on the Mount is basically this presentation. Don't do it like the Pharisees. When you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. They want to make sure everybody sees them because what they're really going for is not spiritual authenticity, but community, place, and prestige. 
And if that's what you're going, you can have your reward, but it won't be the presence of God in your life. When you pray, when you fast, don't go around like, my God, I can hardly move today. I'm almost to my fifth hour of fasting and it's nearly killing me. Don't go around like that. Don't have someone go around and say, oh, Pastor Don is so spiritual. He is fasting today. Hallelujah. Don't be like that. Let your father see what you're doing. And so... He makes this whole presentation about don't be like them. And what he gives us instead is this aspirational. You cannot miss the aspirational elements of serving God. I cannot miss the aspirational elements of serving God. This is what is so dangerous about creating a list of rules that you can do. Because pretty soon it's about your rules and not seeking the presence of God. Jesus does not give us one rule that is easy to keep. Not one. All of them are beyond our reach. All of them are things like, if your hand offend thee, cut it off. Really? Now, you super spiritual people, I want you to know, I still see 10 fingers. I mean, so maybe, you know what I'm saying? He gives us a rule, and don't go cutting your hand off. That's a mental health issue right there. You missed the point entirely. Um, He sets a goal that is beyond our reach. Nonetheless, watch, it orients the direction of our effort. So let me say it like this. I'm never going to be what I ought to be. But today I'm walking in the direction of his voice. I'm never going to. As long as that's your goal, you'll never have a reason to give up on God. As long as you're orienting yourself upon the call of God in your life, you'll never have a reason to get out of this altar and say, I'm giving up. I'm never going to be good enough. Well, why didn't you start out realizing the journey of serving God is about walking toward the call of God? Every challenge, when he says, if they ask you to carry uh, in the time that Jesus' life, the Roman soldier could tax the populace to carry his armor and his camp goods for a mile. Jesus said, if they're going to ask you to do that, Go beyond. Give them a second mile. Don't just carry it one, carry it two. The interesting thing about that is it's not just about taxing labor. It's also a way about recovering your self-respect. Don't have time to preach on that, but there's a profound psychological move that just happened when you show them. Anyway, moving on. So the point being, uh, it's aspirational. None of us really, come on, how many of you pay twice on your income taxes? By uplifted hand, how many of you pay twice your income taxes? Nobody. No, you do a financial contortionist theory to try to avoid a single dollar. And then you're mad about the one you paid. You're like, my God, I, uh, you understand what I'm saying? He gives us these goals that are uh, beyond our reach. And he says this, orient your life off these things. And we can't reach it. Does that mean we're lost? No. It does what? Introduces us to grace. You see, uh, 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 let me borrow your boy, your, your boy. Come over here, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. Come on now. I want you to stand right here. This dude right here is all right. If I could sing like him, I'd have a bus. I'd have a band. I'd be like, holy, 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 holy in the house. Anyway, I'm looking forward to you getting up here and making your dad proud. Okay, I want you to back up about five paces. Okay, now I want you to like try to touch me. Come on, try to touch me. Well done right there. Come on, you look like your dad leading worship. (laughs) Try to touch me. Can't do it, can you? Can't. 
What's the difference between me and him? Theologically, it's grace. The Lord gave, thank you, buddy, you can sit down. God gave us a target that is beyond measure. See? One little movement, you get more affection than I get all day. I've been saving souls since the crack of dawn. All you did is get here and wave your arms like your dad. My God, you're preaching next Sunday. Be ready. This is what, in the same manner that the Old Testament introduced the people to their need for grace, the teaching of Jesus introduces people to their need to grace, for grace. It is beyond you. If they smite you, turn the other cheek. I want to try that after church. I want to try that after church. And if you ain't Chris Rock, it's the drugs. It's totally the drugs. That's not even, that, it, 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 oh, Lord Jesus, I'm glad my mom and dad are in Greensboro today. Bless them, Lord. Safe travels. The point I'm trying to say is this, is you let someone slap you. You know what you're like? Are they slapping me for Jesus? Because if they're slapping me for Jesus, I'm going to take it. But if they slap me for Jesus, it's going to be on like a chicken bone in here. Why are you slapping me? Slap me again. See what happens. The reach, we, his, and then he says to us, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you read the Sermon on the Mount, Lord? I mean, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount. You want me to cut off my hand? You want me to slap the other side of my face? You want no one to know when I pray and your burden is easy. The difference between my reach for God and the target he has set for my spiritual becoming, that's grace. So let me talk, let me talk to you sinners who stayed home. It's, all right. I love you. COVID hugs. It's all good. Here's the deal. You stayed home because of what you did on Friday. So you didn't come to church because of what happened on Saturday night. It was like boom, digga, boom, digga, boom. And then they were like, hey. And then you were like, hey. And then you were like, mm-hmm. And then I better not go to church. Let me tell you why you ought to be here. Is the difference between how good you lived and how good God is is called grace. It's not free. It's just you didn't pay for it. He wants intimacy with you. He wants to know you. He wants to touch you. He wants to be near to you. Don't give up on God. Don't look at yourself. Look at grace. Your failure screams of his goodness, not your badness. Oh, I wish someone would help me praise God in this house right now. So uh, we began a journey of aspiration. I want to be more like Jesus. Ain't no risk of it happening today. (laughs) But I want to be like Jesus. Smile at your neighbor. Say, I want to be more like Jesus. No risk of it happening today. (laughs) What's that shirt people have um, about I'm, I'm, I'm holy, but I'm from the hood, which means what is it? Pray for me, but don't play with me. Oh, I'm holy from the hood. So pray for me. Don't play for me. Whatever. (sighs) What I'm trying to say is this. We began this journey 
seeking to know God. And we got a ways to go. I should have got a real good amen on that. We've got a ways to go. But we're waking up and we're saying, Lord, here I am today and I'm taking it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm, I'm waking up. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm waking up. I know last week was not my best look, if you know what I'm talking about. But Lord, I'm, I'm, start, I'm, try, I'm seeking. And the problem is, is um, we began with a certain speed, a zeal, uh, effort. Uh, um, we, we began with something and then we deal with our hearts. We deal with our hearts. We deal with our hearts. Our hearts are uh, really the seat of our emotions. It's not when we refer to the heart biblically, we're not primarily referring to the physical organ of muscle in our chest that makes life possible for any of us. We're really referring to the the center of our will. We're referring to uh, the cauldron of our emotions, our desires, what we imagine our best life to be and what would it look like. You can be in church and you can be the best person seemingly in the church, but if your fantasy life is filled with a whole different expression of you, what you're seeing is the tension between where you are and where some part of you wishes you were. This fantasy life of excess and all of this tension. You are in some ways that fantasy life and you're also the church mouse who came to church and everybody thinks you're nearly perfect. Oh, they would never do nothing. If they had two seconds in your fantasy world, they'd be like, Jesus, take the will. My God, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We are both. There is within us endless potential of becoming. And the Spirit woos us more like Him. And so we say, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to start trying. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to read. And the Spirit begins taking us in this way. And we begin making progress. Oh, we're not going to arrive. No risk of that in spite of what your friend tells you. Uh, there ain't no arriving. You, you got work to do. And the Spirit woos you and your, your deal. And then uh, you realize that you are not just the church version of you. You're also the Friday night version of you. You're the church version on one hand, you're preaching. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, repentance of your sins, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, my God. On the other hand, the Lord saying, get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me. You're both. And your heart is this becoming. It is you becoming in the here and now. What are you becoming? Here's the thing. Uh, Our heart is this cauldron of emotion within us, but creation begins with word, not feeling. Do you see? That's why in the creation, the whole earth is chaos and void. And then the Spirit of the Lord is what speaks. Creation begins with word, not feeling. We have this cauldron of emotions within us, just like the beginning, the emotions within us are without form and void. We're all over the place. Put us in one context, we'd be a totally different person. Need Jesus every day of the week. Put us in another context, people think we're the holiest of the holy. We're the same person. Yes, praise God. That's why you need to be careful judging people who are trying to get themselves sorted out. You don't know what they went through as a kid. (laughs) 
this wrestling with emotion. First uh, John 3 and 20, I love this passage. John is writing to the church and he says this, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. If our hearts condemn us, God is what? Greater than our hearts. It's as though John is imagining a believer having an argument with their own heart. All right, let, let, me, let me tell you about an allegory that I, I, I think is helpful for our understanding this. A real famous novelist, Apollo Coelho, uh, wrote a book called The Alchemist. It is a modern myth, and in it he tries to take principles of, of, of human becoming, the seeking for meaning, what it means to live a valuable, notable life, all of those things, and he puts it in the form of a myth. Um, and it is, it's a bestseller. It's beautifully written. He is just a stunningly good author as far as writing with beautiful language. Um, he tells the story of a young man named Santiago, and um, he is awakened to seeking something in his life. He starts as a, a shepherd, but because of dreams he has one day while he's napping in an old church that's been abandoned, he has dreams that awaken something within him. It awakens something. Uh, you might think of this outside of a, a story or a narrative style. You might think of it as the moment when a person realizes that their life needs to mean something. It can't just be paychecks and weekends. Their life needs to mean something. And there's this awakening in him of a seeking of meaning. What, what does my life consist of? I need to figure that out. And Santiago, I won't take the time to tell the story because it is a beautiful, uh, long story. But he begins to seek. And the first character he meets in this journey of becoming, this seeking. Remember, it's metaphor. Seeking meaning, purpose. What does my life mean? What could I do? Who? who what would matter? Uh, the first character he meets in his seeking is um, named after the biblical char character of Melchizedek. And he learns from Melchizedek that every person has what he calls a personal legend, which is just a narrative way, a story-based way of referring to what uh, the great psychotherapist Viktor Frankl called seeking meaning, man's search for meaning that awakens your potential as unformed within you, but you bring it to life by the choices you make, the path you walk, the, that which you seek to become, you choose it. All you young people hear me today. You are forming the future you with the way you live now. So I want to challenge all of you to be kind to your future you. Be good to your future you. Because here is the sad reality. If you aren't good to your future you, you will know how dumb you treated you. Forget about how your mama treats you. My God, she birthed you. She can slap you if she wants to. Don't think about how you treat you. Because the greatest gifts in life are the gifts you give to your future self. You're going to be 30 anyway. It'd be better with a master's degree. I'm just using that as an example. If you're not an education, you understand what I'm saying? You're going to be 40 anyway. It'd be better with your own business. I mean, I'm just using that as an example. Do the work. Pay the price. Quit looking for a cop-out on life. Quit looking for a short. Show up and say, I'm not looking for a shortcut. Because in life, you win through character, not luck. You don't get to blame anybody else for your character. It's your decisions added up, pressed down, shaken together. And then breathed by you. All right, moving along. 
be kind to your future self. So uh, this personal legend that the storyteller is, this person, you, you, you have this in you, you have to find it. And he, he asked this question, you know, well, how do I find it? And uh, the next character he, he runs into is known as the alchemist. That's the namesake of the book. Uh, he runs into the alchemist. The alchemist is an individual who, unlike all of the frauds that Santiago is meeting, um, who are trying to steal his money, who say they can take material things and make gold out of it. He meets the alchemist who actually can do it, but not by using material things. Not by using material things. It's a different kind of value that's in our lives, a different kind of becoming, a different kind of potential. And so um, when he uh, listens to the alchemist, uh, he he learns that the reason why he met Melchizedek and learned about meaning and purpose, your personal legend, so to speak, before he met the alchemist is because what the alchemist is going to teach him is the only way you make gold out of your life is by pursuing your potential, pursuing your legend, pursuing your meaning, the difference you could make. So both the alchemist and Melchizedek, they tell him, you have to, you have to seek it. And he's like, okay, uh, where do I start? And start? And they say, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Well, this is very, very confusing to him. His heart won't cooperate. He listens and uh, he finds his heart is filled with fear. Uh, sometimes his heart is filled with anxiety. Sometimes his heart is filled with worry. Sometimes his heart just wants an easy path. Sometimes his heart tells him he can do things he actually doesn't think he can do. Sometimes his heart is overwhelmed with beauty. Other times it's overwhelmed with rage. His heart is not one thing. Man, if I was a good preacher, I'd make a message out of there right there. His heart is not one thing. What do you mean when you listen to your heart? He goes back to the alchemist. He says, this is confusing to me. My heart is many things. It tells me many things. And the alchemist, rather than saying you're doing it wrong, says that's a good sign. It means your heart is alive, expressive, and reacting Keep listening. Keep. You see, here's, here's one of the biggest problems of the modern mind. We listen, a minute passes, and we're done. You're going to have to listen for a while. You go back and you listen. I love the story. I love the story mainly because I, there are so many, and this is not unintentional, but um, there's so much truth about the, what it means to be human and the experience of being human and the seeking meaning and for the believer seeking an audience with God and sitting before the face of God and spending time in prayer, spending time in the word of God, turning off the distractions. And waiting for the spirit of the Lord to begin to speak into your life. And so the alchemist tells him, keep listening, keep listening. And in time, he begins to find a, a direction. Uh, the problem is that his heart says many things, but there is certain things that resonate with his potential, resonate with his deepest values, resonate with his spiritual purpose, so to speak. The highest he can strive for, the most most beautiful he can seek to create. And that is the seeking of the heart. That's the clearest tone played by an instrument that's capable of many, many tones. Imagine a violin. You give it to me. It sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard, but you give it to a maestro. Yes. 
and the maestro gets things out of the violin that a novice like me cannot even see. I can't even aim at the target. You see what I'm saying? I can't even hear when I'm a half tone off. It's a mess, but you keep listening, or let me say it differently, you keep practicing, and you keep playing, and you keep practicing, and you keep seeking God. You've got to show me the path today, not tomorrow, not someday, not tomorrow, not someday. Show me today the next step. I'm not worried about whether or not I'm getting in light. I'm worried about this next step, Lord. I'm looking, I'm looking for victory over this certain step right here. I'm taking my, I'm seeking, I'm asking, I'm knocking. Do you see the aspiration in it. I'm seeking. I'm hungry. Why do we pray? We're seeking. Why do we go to church week after week after week? We're hungry. God's not done with us. We need to see the star that could lead the wise. And we need to say, that is the way I'm walking in. More like Jesus, less like. And so uh, he he makes the progress in the story, and he, he has a unique experience that the same heart, the same desire, the same potential within him that started him on a quest sometimes tells him he ought to quit. I want to say it again. I want to say it to this side. The same heart that started, started him on a quest, the same heart that awoken to him his potential, the same heart that awoken him to his next step, that same heart will sometimes tell him he ought to quit. And he goes to the alchemist and he says, what do I say to my heart when it tells me with the same voice it said to ask, seek, and knock? What, is, what do I do when it tells me to stop? And the alchemist says, <laughs> when your heart tells you you ought to quit, you talk back to your heart. Watch this. I love the spiritual undertones here. The same heart that told me my life would be better seeking the presence of God. The same heart that awoken in me a desire to know him. Not just on good days, but any day. Not just in blessing, but in suffering too. In everything, giving things. The same heart that told me I might could do something of a lasting nature for the kingdom of God. The same heart that told me I ought to pray. The same heart that told me I ought to make it to a communal body of Christ and invest my talents in an extended horizontal, not just vertical relationship of the body of Christ in the heart. The same heart that does all those good things will sometimes tell me I need to quit. Most of the time, I listen to my heart because I need it to show me a path. But sometimes I talk back to my heart because I need to show it my grit. Should I say it to this side? Y'all are all saved over here. All right. But y'all get ready to be healed. Are you ready? Sometimes I have to talk back to my heart. And I have to show my heart my character. My heart showed me a path. It showed me a way. But sometimes it's exhausted. And sometimes it'll show me the path. But sometimes I have to show it my character. It'll show me a calling, but sometimes I have to show it my grit. 
And when the same heart that set me on a path of seeking God tells me I ought to quit, it's time for me to show my heart the grit, the character, the will. And so when our hearts are afraid, there are some, there's something greater than our hearts. When our hearts are weary, there's something greater than our hearts. The presence of God comes into our life. And with nail-scarred hands, he wraps around the trembling heart, shuddering within. And he whispers comfort and sweet spiritual renewal to the heart that feels like it can't go on. I've come to tell someone today, if your heart is ready to quit, it's time for you to talk back to your heart and say, I've come too far to give up on the promises of God today. I've walked too many miles with holes in my shoes to give up on God today. I've wrestled too many nights in prayer to walk away from the house of God. I've lifted too many hands. Oh, I wish I had a witness in this house. I've lifted my voice in too many services. When our hearts are afraid, let us be reminded there's something greater than our hearts. I'm almost done. Musicians come. I, I want to end. I want to end with something here that is, I think, spiritually insightful. Uh, a survey was done at a, I believe it was a seminary that it was done at, and everyone in the survey was all high committed uh, Christians, most of them pastors or church leaders, some of them professors for the college, uh, very high commitment, organized, intelligent people who had oriented their life around being a Jesus follower. And the survey was done uh, to them in the form of two questions. And the question number one was this, what was the emotion you experienced most strongly today? Now, that was question number one. Question number two, um, what emotion do you struggle with the most on a day-to-day -day basis? So the first question is, um, what was the strongest emotion you experienced today? And then the second question was about their struggle of emotional uh, realities in their life. And there were 31 people. Remember, all your pastors, all church leaders in that and the like. Um, of 31 responses uh, only of the, to the first question, only eight of 31 uh, um, was uh, expressed positive emotions. Um, so let's put it this way. So uh, about, 20, about one in five, basically, maybe a little less or, or whatever, uh, eight into 31. Uh, so about 25%, maybe a little, little off of that. Um, only 25% of them had a positive answer to give. Uh, over 70% of them gave negative answers, negative answers. So the strongest emotion they had were things like frustration, anger, anxiety, fear, stress, shame, and regret. Those were the dominant emotional experiences of their life. And here's people that they are pastors, they are teachers, uh, they have, they're organized, intelligent people uh, with enough self-discipline and planning to actually go to a seminary-like environment and... Uh, they're still having, as the dominant emotional experience of their life, they're still having negative themes. And the people who gave the survey asked this question, how can the body of Christ be so miserable? 
how could the body of Christ be so miserable? Uh, the instruction Jesus gives to those who seek the kingdom of God is it's an example almost of simple faith or let me say it this way, childlike faith. Childlike faith. Say it with me, childlike faith. So I was in a shop the other day and I had my kids with me and um, I was working on prepping equipment for the nonprofit that I'm trying to start to go in after storms and help communities that have been ravaged by the storms. It's a lot of equipment I'm having to put together. And um, so I was working on that and I had my kids with me. And uh, of course, my son was in the car uh, on computer or phone or whatever. My little girl came into the shop with me and um, she was, she saw me using a push broom, push broom. And um, she immediately screamed, stop, 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 run over. And she said, let me do it. And you know what my response was? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> Would you like to start now? <laughs> well, she didn't know how to use a push broom. And watching her figure out various ways to use it was great comedy. You have to be a parent and understand that. Um, like her father, she tried every wrong way before she tried the right one. But once she found the right one, she worked right along steadily. She was so excited about a push broom. Jesus help us. She started doing push broom races. She danced around with the push broom. She had more fun doing the push broom that as soon as she got in the car, we started driving back home. She got her iPad out and she started making a video about her push broom service. I kid you not. She said, Dad, I need background music. Give me some background music. So I started going, doom, to doom, doom, doom. Well, she didn't like the first three I offered. Finally, I gave her a tune that she liked. She said, yes, that one. So I'm, going, I'm in the front seat driving going, doom, to doom, 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 to doom, 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 to doom, doom, doom. She starts video recording. She says, well, hello, everyone. I am Ellery of Sweep You Off Your Feet Sweeping Services. Do you have anything that needs to be swept? I know how to sweep. You should let me sweep your house, or if you don't want to, that's fine too, but this is Ellery's Sweep You Off Your Feet Sweeping Services. Childlike faith. Now, if I would have asked my teenager to sweep the shop floor, the frown would not have been turned upside down. But a child can dance and sing. Let me ask you this question. Why is the church of God so miserable? Why is the body of Christ so miserable? Because we're failing a childlike faith and childlike hope. We look at a broom and decide God doesn't like us instead of singing and dancing that God included us in the kingdom of God, celebrating his grace, celebrating his hope. Our lives are aspirational and we seek, yes, and sometimes our hearts, in the same manner they direct us toward God, Romans chapter number one, in the same manner they direct us toward God, sometimes they get exhausted and they want to quit and they want to give up and they want to just say, church is too, just too weird for me right now. 
I tried, it didn't work. And in that moment, what do you say to the very heart that sought you out an altar? What do you say to the very heart who at one day of your life told you you need to seek after the presence of God? When your heart is exhausted within you, then you talk back to your heart and you say to your heart, no, it's going to be all right. The distance between where I am and where God wants me to be is called grace. (laughs) And what I'm striving to do today is reach with as much reach as I can toward heaven. I stretch like a Leonardo da Vinci painting on the Sistine Chapel. I stretch as hard as I can toward heaven. And the distance between my fingertip and heaven, that's called grace. Talk back to your heart and tell yourself you're going to make it, my brother, my sister. Tell yourself you've come too far. Stand with me. Tell yourself you've come too far to give up on God's promise. I've come to tell you today uh, you are more than a conqueror. I've come to tell you today there remaineth yet hope. I've come to tell you today uh, his grace is sufficient. I've come to tell you today that he has not left you comfortless, but he will come to you and wrap his arms around you. I've come to tell you today that a mother may forget her nursing child, but God would never forget you. He has engraven you on the palms of his hands. Lord Jesus, speak into our lives here today place within us a deep hunger to know you, a deep hunger to seek you, a deep hunger to have you in our lives, that we would host your presence. Let us walk in the confidence of your presence. Let us walk in the confidence of your promise, not prisoner to the emotions that work within us, but standing upon the promises of God. Help us to substitute the instability of our emotions stability of your word, your promise forever given and established in Jesus name we pray we're going to move into our prayer service time now Pastor Mellis is going to lead us into our prayer service but before I turn it over to him I want to encourage you if you have a need the service itself is structured to acknowledge the difference between the mind and the heart service itself. Remember our mind and our heart, the difference in the emotion and the knowledge. When we hear, we learn. The teaching of the Word of God gives us knowledge. When we act upon it, we involve our heart. We become vulnerable to God. If you think you can handle it on your own, God will let you try. But when you're ready to surrender to him and say, God, I need you today. I bring you the sickness that's in my body. I join with the faith of my brothers and sisters and I pray for healing here today. When you're willing to bring your difficulty and career and job, even relationship and family, when you're ready to surrender that to God, you're ready for a prayer service. Now, as long as you're hiding behind the image of no need or living in the self-deception of no need, you're not ready for a prayer service. But a prayer service is not about what we know. It's about the surrender of our heart to God. So I'd like to encourage you. First of all, if you're visiting and you need to go, you can slip out at any time. But if you're comfortable in his presence and you're ready for a vulnerability before him, the prayer service is for you. Pastor Melix is leading us to the next step of this service. God bless you all. We love you. Uh, Let's open our hearts to the word of God.
manifest through prayer in this service today. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.